In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. It increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. The second Sunday of Easter is known as Divine Mercy Sunday. Each year we hear the Gospel referred to as the story of Doubting Thomas. Yet the first and second readings of Divine Mercy Sunday change each year, so we'll start by looking at those. In the first reading, we hear from the Acts of the Apostles that the Christians were all gathering together in Solomon's portico. This portico was located within the confines of the temple in Jerusalem, so it shows us that in the early days of Christianity, the followers of Jesus were meeting on the priest's turf around the temple. It'd be sort of like a group of Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans gathering every morning right outside the Superdome in New Orleans. In other words, at first, the Christians were meeting right in front of the most important Jewish representatives at the temple. We have several ambiguous Greek phrases in this passage from Acts of the Apostles. The debate involves this verse. None of the others dared to join them, yet more than ever, believers in the Lord, great numbers of men and women, were added to them. This line doesn't really make sense at first. If none of the others dared to join the Christians at Solomon's portico, then how, at the very same time, could great numbers of men and women be added to those Christians? Without getting too deep into the debate, it likely demonstrates how the apostles display wonder-working power, and this at one and the same time deterred some because they dared not to join them, while also attracted others who wanted to know more about Jesus. After all, in this first reading, we're told that Peter's shadow heals someone. The ancient people believed that a person's shadow was a bit like his alter ego. Since the shadow disappears when someone dies, they saw a shadow as an extension of personality and power. And it's no wonder, then, that this extension of the Apostle Peter was able to heal someone in Jesus' name. Our second reading is taken from the first chapter of the book of Revelation. John begins to relate the vision he has on the Lord's Day. Since the people of John's time saw a real connection between days, months, and seasons, that he receives this vision on the day of the Lord is referenced to give the vision extra credibility. In the vision, John says he hears a voice as loud as a trumpet. When he turns around to see the origin of the voice, he beholds seven gold lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. This phrase, son of man, is a Hebrew idiom, and it really just means a person, like the son of a man, a son of man. I guess it would be a bit like the word dude we have today, which some believe derived from the word dandy in the 1800s to describe a well-dressed man. When we say do today, we know we're talking about any sort of man, and the same is true with the son of man phrase. According to John, this son of man is wearing an ankle-length robe with a gold sash around his chest. Many scholars point out that an ankle-length robe always refers to a high priest garment in Jewish tradition, yet in the entire book of Revelation, Jesus is never referred to as a priest. Twice, followers of Jesus are described as priests, but never Jesus himself. With this in mind, it's likely that John mentions the ankle-length robe not to highlight Jesus' priestly nature, but rather to heighten his majestic nature, since long robes were worn by people of great importance. We've got a number of different points to tackle in our Gospel reading. First, when resurrected Jesus appears in the midst of the group, he says to them, Peace be with you. But the verb here is implied. It's actually not even written out in Greek. It's sort of like if you saw one of your friends and simply said, Peace. Same idea here. When Jesus returns from having been deserted, mocked, and crucified, he returns not with vengeance, but with a simple word, peace be with you. After Jesus speaks peace to them, he breathes on them. 
and this has two parallels to the Old Testament. The first might already be in your mind. It's when God breathes life into the clay in Genesis chapter 2. But the second instance can be found in the words of the prophet Ezekiel during the vision of the dry bones. Thus says the Lord God, From the four winds come, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may come to life. Lastly, as further background to our gospel, we have something really interesting involving a Roman emperor. Domitian ruled as emperor of Rome from about 81 to 96 AD. During his rule, he liked others to refer to him as Dominus et Deus, or translated from Latin, Lord and God. In fact, he had that inscribed in his palace, Dominus et Deus. Okay, now check this out. John's Gospel was believed to have been composed and written down sometime between 90 and 100 AD, right smack dab in the middle of Domitian's heyday. And when the story of St. Thomas's confession of faith in Jesus is recorded, what are the words in his mouth when he beholds resurrected Jesus? Dominus et Deus, my Lord and my God. These words of Thomas very well could be the author's subtle dig at Domitian, who claimed to be the Lord and God. The author is saying, look, we Christians really know who is Lord and God here. It's Jesus. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this second Sunday of Easter in year C. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.